brought to you by Prescient Investment Management. Informed by science. Guided by insight. Prescient Investment Management is an authorized FSP. Welcome to the Honest Money Show. We're talking today about how the world's, the world's wealthy people invest their money. And it's a solo show today because I'm answering some of the questions that you've been sending to our WhatsApp line or uh, our social media posts. And so um, unfortunately, you're just going to have to listen to me today. And I think maybe the first thing to talk about when we, when we look at how the world's wealthy invest is that there are probably two categories of people that I want to talk about. So the first is the, the really ultra wealthy. So these are people that, that would count their, their wealth in, let's say, hundreds of uh, millions of dollars or billions of dollars and you, you know they're, they're looking at at assets that uh, you know if if all goes well would last you know hundreds of years not 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 tens of years not not from one generation to the next and then the next category of wealthy people would would be people that i would say are sitting on assets of about 10 million dollars or more and in south african terms just to keep it really simple just times it by 20 and, and you're looking at about you know, you know that that's kind of 200 million rand worth of assets. Why it's interesting to look at them and, and understand how they invest is we can't we can't replicate exactly what they do and we can't copy them exactly. And important to know that all of us are different, so we can't exactly just copy every other person we know to try and and do what they do. It won't suit our lifestyle, it won't suit our age, it won't suit our family requirements, etc. But we can learn a lot of lessons from how wealthy people invest in and how people who are financially successful invest and and for me that's the that's what they represent it's it's people that have achieved a, a measure of financial success and understanding how they do things with money can can give us some pointers about how we do things with our own money so i think the first thing is is time horizon is is probably the key point here if you, if you look at a, a, a wealthy family you know the, the 10 million dollar and more family the, their time horizons are not kind of looking one or three years ahead you know they're very often looking 10 20 up to 50 years ahead with their with their investment decisions and the reason for that is their children who might be young uh, they know they've got money to to leave at least to their children and if things go well to their children's children so you know if you've got a 10 year old child then and you're planning for your 10 year old's children to be born still you, you look very differently at how how you make investment decisions and I think that that's a real key and a, and a real secret weapon that they have that 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 a lot of other people just don't give themselves. You know, it's a very simple thing to do. You know, in terms of of looking at your investments and saying, if I own something today that's gone down <clears throat> like two or three percent, or maybe even ten or twenty percent, is it still a good long term investment? Is it still something I would hold if my time horizon was twenty years and I was only allowed to make one or two decisions every decade? And if the decision is yes, if it is a good investment and you would hold it for a long period of time, then it changes your whole outlook as to what's going on over a one or two or three year period. And, and in reality, we shouldn't really care too much about what happens to our investments over short periods of time, like one or two or three years. Forget about what happens over one or two or three months. You know, And I think 
a lot of the time when I talk to investors and, and kind of listen to the, the kind of angst that they've got, you know, the anxiety that they've got about the investments, it's really about short-term moves. And it's about, you know, they, they invested their money and suddenly it's going down. And, you know, and, and I ask them, well, how long have you been an investor? No, I've, I've been an investor for two years. And all I've seen are losses. Well, you know, unfortunately, that's just bad luck in terms of timing doesn't make you a bad investor and it doesn't mean that the investments that you own are bad. You know, if the whole market's gone down for the two years you've been an investor, that's just tough luck. You know, that, that, that doesn't mean you jump out and, you know, and change your whole strategy or give up on the investment universe. If anything, what it, what it tells you is maybe you should keep uh, trying to accumulate assets a bit faster, keep buying because maybe these assets that you own are on sale now. And, and you, what you're doing is buying assets that will be rewarding to you over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, and, I, and I think that's maybe the one really big key point that that the world's wealthy, um, you, you know, that the big focus area that they have, they just don't worry about what's going on over a very short period of time. It's not life changing to them if the investments go down. Uh, and, and when you see news reports about, you know, the ultra wealthy have lost, you know, like a billion dollars, you know, Elon Musk has lost five billion dollars. I can promise you Elon Musk doesn't care about losing five billion dollars when he's worth a hundred billion. And the reason is he 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 is so focused on long term work and building his assets that he's got and building the businesses that he owns that what happens over a one or two year period is only interesting to the journalists. It's not interesting to the actual people that are building the wealth. And maybe that's the second comment, is they don't focus on what the media is telling them to focus on. They, they don't get excited when their friends on financial Twitter are telling them, uh, you know, like, this is what's going on, or they, the people that they follow are suddenly panicking, because they've got just totally different time horizons. And, and that's a real key for us. So, so then the second thing is that they have a, a quite a rigid focus on how they break up the investment assets that they own. In other words, they don't take all their money and put it all in cash or all in property or all in shares or all in cryptos or all in derivatives or structured products or hedge funds. They're, they're quite rigid in terms of splitting that out and making sure that their investments are, are spread across a range of types of assets with very different time horizons uh, per asset. So, for example, when they own shares, they, they would say to themselves, I'm going to buy shares, and those are shares that I should be holding for at least a decade, if not two or three. Whereas when they've got cash, they're, they're looking to get a good interest rate, but they're not looking for for kind of you know, you know, a 30-year horizon for their cash. The, the, the cash is there for a specific purpose, whether it's for an expense that's coming up in one or two or three years, or it's their emergency fund, or it's the shock absorber in the portfolio. It's not there to give them maximum capital growth, and they're certainly not looking for it to be the big growth generator for, for anything. It's, it's there to fulfill a totally different role. And then when, they, when you look at their property holdings, you know, a, a lot of the world's very wealthy will own, you know, physical property, but it's a lifestyle asset. And I think it's an important point to know there. This is not about, you know, building massive wealth through property. It's about diversifying away from their main growth assets, diversifying away from their risky assets and buying physical assets that hopefully will protect their capital against inflation, but equally are places where they will go and spend time. You know, so you'll see, you know, some of the world's wealthy buying, you know, the 50 million or 100 million dollar properties on the coast somewhere that's in high demand and they might end up with a few of those around the world. And the idea there is that, you know, yes, it's a, it's a form of diversification. Yes, it's a nice lifestyle so they don't have to go and stay in hotels, but, but equally that it protects them from, from other different kinds of risks that, that the rest of their money might be exposed to. And that's an important point. It's about diversification there. But they will have a very long time horizon on, on those uh, property assets. 
And then they might own private businesses as well. And, and you know, if it's not the family business or it's not the business that they, they, they started themselves, they might, might buy private companies either through private equity or through investment trusts that own private businesses. And I think that that's an increasing kind of dynamic in the world where, where they're very large, very well-run businesses that are not going to the stock exchange anywhere in the world anymore. They're, they're staying private, raising money privately when they need it. And, and I think the world's wealthy have a specific advantage there because they will get approached for, for investments. And secondly, they can afford to take a 10 or 20 year view on a, on a private investment. They're not trying to buy something that they need to trade next week or next month or next year. And when you've got a very successful private business and you're looking for shareholders, what you want are long-term shareholders. So, so I think that that's something that they own uh, that, that maybe isn't always accessible to everybody else. Having said that, there are good investment trusts that are listed, especially in the in the UK, that that specialise in buying um, stakes in private companies, and and you know the, the, that's important to look at if you want to access that kind of side of the market. On the other end of the spectrum, once they've got their cash holding sorted out, the world's wealthy might buy some physical assets like gold, you know, uh, silver, or or physical commodities. And, and it's another form of portfolio insurance for them. They're not buying their, their gold holdings so that they, uh, they expect to double or treble that, that, that money over, over long periods of time. All they're doing is they're buying an asset which is physical, which can be used in, in the event that you know, the, the financial systems really go south or you know, something really horrible goes wrong, long, uh, wrong around the world. They, they've got these physical assets that can be used to trade or, or, or to kind of restart their wealth in a, in a completely different way. Uh, so, so for me, one powerful learning there is that you know when you when you're still trying to build up your capital and you don't have sufficient capital, you don't need too much portfolio insurance with, for example, with too much cash or too much in physical commodities. Rather, buy growth assets that are well diversified, in the hope that that's actually how you you, you kind of build your wealth. When you get to the point where you've got some excess wealth, then you start to allocate some of that to portfolio insurance, and and that means increasing cash holdings or or buying physical commodities. But those who are looking at the world's wealthy and saying, well, they own some gold, I should own some gold, you just need to understand why they own the gold. And it's not for growth. It's, it's purely for protection. And if you're not in a position where you need to protect capital, but rather need to grow it, then I would suggest that's not your first priority. And, and then you might find the, the world's wealthy owning some kind of more exotic investments like funds of hedge funds or, or private equity funds as a, just as a general rule or you know they might take a punt on some new fashion thing you know whether it's cryptos uh, last year or whatever it will be next year but but they'll do that with a small amount of money they won't do it with a large chunk and and you know if that small amount of money you know it, it goes well and it doubles or trebles in their lives it will add to their growth but it's not something that will change their lives and and equally if that small amount of money loses everything which which is always possible that that's not going to change their lifestyle either and i think the point there is when when you've got big size of assets you can negotiate fees much more readily than those the rest of us who, who might only be able to invest small amounts and we can't go and you know tell fund managers to give us special discounts on our on our assets so i think there those kind of exotic products you know whether it's hedge funds or private equity funds as a principle, I tend to avoid them because they're expensive. You know, the, the, the people making the most money there are are the, the actual launches of those products, the, the fund managers of those products, and, and they make a lot of money. 
there's a reason why some of the hedge fund managers in America are some of the world's wealthiest people. It's because they've made all the money, not their clients. And, and that really bothers me. So, you know, fees are a critical point here. And if you can't negotiate, uh, you know, a fee down on, on, on an exotic product, why buy it? And then maybe also just staying on that for a second, uh, you know, hedge funds, especially those where you don't really know what's going on inside or some newfangled product where, you know, it's so complicated and so mathematical and, and someone tells you, you know, you're never going to understand. That, that to me is a great reason to not buy that product. You know, when you can't understand what you own and you can't simply track it, you know, in other words, you can't go online and look at the, you know, look, look at a financial website that will tell you how this investment is performing and what the prices are, et cetera. Uh, when there's some sort of magic black box, you know, um, don't talk to me kind of approach from the product provider, that for me is a real red flag. I, I don't need to invest my money with, with companies that are not going to tell me what's going on with my investments. Uh, so I'll avoid those. And sure, not all of those companies are dodgy and not all of them are, are, are going to steal my money, but a, pro a proportion of them will and a proportion of them will be the next Bernie Madoff or next big Ponzi scheme. And why take the risk? You know, I think you know, missing out on one or two investments that do incredibly well, while at the same time missing out on hundreds of investments that are fraudulent or just super expensive, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very comfortable to avoid those. So, so I think just be careful there that the, the way that you invest um, and, and the, the fees that you pay. And, and then lastly, with, with the world's wealthy, they, they, they will spread their assets far and wide. They will have a lot of money in their home country, wherever they plan to spend and, uh, their time and their money. But they're equally comfortable to allocate lots of money around the world. And sometimes they do it very simply, you know, whether it's in index investments or, or in, in balanced unit trusts. And, and sometimes they'll buy lots of different kinds of investments across the world. Uh, but they're not afraid to diversify. And they, they, they simply look at their investments in a, in a different way than most. And, and I think the key point there is when you're sitting on, you know, 100 million or 200 million rand, your job is not to make the 200 million into a billion. Your job is to protect that 200 million from a permanent loss of capital. In other words, you don't want to invest the money and, you know, you've got 200 million and suddenly you wake up one day and it's only worth 10 million. You know, that, that's a catastrophic risk. That's like playing Russian roulette with your money. And, and that's a really bad idea. So what the world's wealthy do is they look at their money and they say, overall, with the entire pot, my job is to protect it and preserve it, and especially against the, the, the eroding effects of inflation. You know, when the, and the whole point about inflation is it gradually destroys the buying power of your money, and that's really bad. So what you want to do is you want to protect the buying power of your money. You want to grow it at least at the rate of inflation. That, that's when you're looking at the entire amount. That doesn't mean that all of your money needs to be really conservatively investment, invested. It just means that some portions need to be very cautious. Some portions can be quite high risk. But when you mix it all together and you look at the whole pot, the whole pot needs to make sure that you, you're not going to be in a position where you, you wake up one day with very little money left. You know? And I think that that's, that's a big attitude uh, adjustment that a lot of investors need to make as their capital grows. Is It's not all about growth. You know, At some point, you start to, to make sure that, that you don't lose the money forever. And, and that's maybe the one thing that I would love to give as a, as, as a tip to investors is, you know, th this is a long-term game. You know, this this should be kind of running the, you know, the comrades ultra marathon. You're not out there to kind of get the, you know, be the fastest person to run 10Ks. You, you, you need to get the whole 90Ks done, you know. And sometimes just staying invested, just staying on the road, just going day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, 
is the secret. That is the key to actually how you become very successful as an investor and potentially one day, you know, incredibly wealthy. It's about sticking to a plan and and staying in it and and not chopping and changing, not getting distracted by all the new kind of bright, shiny objects that get thrown at you by, especially social media nowadays. and then I know this is a podcast, which is kind of a newish form of media. And I, I know we run Twitter accounts and, and YouTube channels and everything. But the one thing I'd say to you as well is don't get distracted by FOMO. and Don't get distracted by people that kind of, you know, take photos of themselves in front of fancy cars. You know, um, I mean, I love it when I see people kind of walking up to a parked Ferrari and they go and stand there as if it's their car. And, they, you know, they're taking selfies. And I, I never go and talk to those people. But I bet you they're putting those on social media saying, you know, living my best life, driving my favorite car. It's all nonsense. And and I think, you know, p- people who spend their time on social media, especially doing the selfies, bragging about how, how rich they are, or how successful they are, they're not the ones making the real money. You know, the ones that are making real money are busy either spending their time building more money uh, or they're spending their time at leisure and not kind of showing it to the rest of the world. And and I think, you know, be, be careful of the, the, the influences. The in- influences usually kind of clueless, can't do much themselves, can't really make a business out of their, out of whatever it is that they want to do, certainly can't get a career, and they've got nothing else left, so they go into social media. Bothers me a lot, as you can hear, and I, and I think it, it often leads to really bad outcomes for investors who naively believe what they're seeing on social media. So maybe that's my last tip, is, is avoid the social media, avoid fear of missing out. You know, FOMO is such a dangerous thing when you make investment decisions. I hope that helps, and I hope you have a very successful investment career. Brought to you by Prescient Investment Management. Informed by science. Guided by insight. Prescient Investment Management is an authorized FSP. 